Um, Today we get to talk about baptism. We are finishing our series called Convictions. For the last 10 weeks, we have journeyed through our statement of faith. What do we believe about God? What do we believe about Jesus? What do we believe about the Holy Spirit? What do we believe about church? What do we believe about people? What do we believe about communion? What do we believe about all these things about eternity? And today we get to put our, our, our cherry on top. We get to finish this and put a bow on it by looking about this ordinance of baptism. So the, the ninth statement in our statement of faith is, man, the, the ordinance of the church. That there's two, two things that God has ordained. God has given the responsibility to his church to help people take steps forward in their faith. That's we've got to take communion together. And man, I, I enjoyed it. It was a powerful time. I got to take communion three times last week. I got to take it in our production meeting and in both of our services. And, man, God spoke to me all three times. I hope he speaks to you when you take communion. Today we get to do something that is almost not fair that I get to be a part of this. Like, like, like I look at my job, and sometimes I get to do, like, the coolest stuff in the world. And this is one of those days I get to help baptize people into the body of Christ today. What an honor. What a, what a tremendous blessing that I get to do. And as a church that we get to do, we're baptizing five people into the body of Christ today. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, we're going to explain that and unpack that today. I know most of us in this room have probably already taken this step. But if you haven't taken this step, I want to go ahead and, and again mention to you, we are prepared for you. If God speaks to you in today's message, if he speaks to you during our our time today, we have clothes for you to change into. We have all the stuff that you could need to take this step because we don't want you to miss out. Man, as you see the the power and the beauty of what baptism means. So with that being said, let's dig in to our statement of faith. Uh, What does it say about baptism? It says this. It says, the ordinance of baptism by immersion is commanded in the scriptures. All who repent and believe on Christ as Savior and Lord are to be baptized. Thus, they, they being the ones who have believed on Jesus as Savior and Lord, they declare to the world when they're baptized that they have died with Christ and that they also have been raised with him to walk in newness of life. Three sentences here we're going to unpack each of them when it comes to the idea of baptism. Uh, The first is this, the ordinance of baptism by immersion is commanded in scriptures. So in other words, this isn't something that the church invented later on, right? There there are things that, that churches do to help people take steps in their faith, and they're good things, right? Like discovery, The Bible doesn't command discovery. We have discovery as a way to help people understand who we are and who they are and to take a step forward in their their walk with God. We think it's a good thing, but it's not something that the Bible has commanded you have to go through discovery, right? You understand that. Lots of good things that churches do that aren't necessarily commanded in Scripture. Baptism is specifically ordered in scripture. This is something that the Bible tells us as the church, as disciples and followers of Jesus, we need to be doing. I'm just going to give you one verse to demonstrate this, but it is in a lot of different places. Matthew 28, 19, our Savior Jesus, as he's getting ready to go back into heaven, famously tells his disciples, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. By the way, your job description as a Christian is a disciple maker. 
My job description as a Christian is a disciple maker. We are all called to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So baptism is explicitly linked to disciple making. As Jesus gives the great commission, that's what this sentence is known as. Man, as he empowers his believers to go on mission, to make things happen, to reach the world for the glory of Jesus, he says part of that mission is you're going to be baptizing some people. You're going to baptize folks. So this is part of our responsibility as the church. Today, we get to live out Jesus' final command. The final thing he told his disciples to do before he went into heaven. Man, we get to live that out. That's a beautiful thing. That's an awesome thing. We get to do this as we are baptizing people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So this ordinance is explicitly commanded in Scripture. Secondly, all who repent and believe. Everybody say all. All who repent and believe on Christ as Savior and Lord are to be baptized. This isn't just something the more spiritual do. This isn't just something that that somebody does when they reach a certain place of spiritual maturity. In fact, in the early church, this was how they counted conversions. This is how they counted who had given their life to Jesus because there was a, a, a private decision to follow Jesus didn't get counted as a conversion. A public declaration of my love for Jesus was counted as a conversion. And that's demonstrated in baptism. We'll talk a little bit later about why things look a little bit different in our generation and how things have have changed a little bit. Um, But the principle here is if you're a believer in Jesus, you're supposed to get baptized. Right? This is just, just what is expected, what is asked of you. I say this many times, and I believe it with all my heart. This is really the first thing Jesus asks of his followers. There's, There's a lot Jesus asks of us. But this is the first thing. This is the simplest thing. This is the foundational step into discipleship, into following Jesus, is getting baptized in water. In Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people come to Jesus on the day of Pentecost. It's massive awakening, man, where, where people from all over have gathered for the feast of Pentecost. And as they're gathered for the feast, they hear the, these men, these disciples of Jesus, these 120 men and women speaking in tongues, speaking in their native language, which wasn't the native language of the speakers, but was of the hearers. And they say, wow, there's something going on here. 3,000 people give their life to Jesus and 3,000 people get baptized. That's a baptism service right there. Right? Like they're filling up the Jordan River or something. I don't know where they baptized all these people. Uh, but that, that, that was, can you imagine 3,000 people getting baptized in one day? What that looks like? How powerful that is? Well, here's what Peter says as he's giving the first altar call in the history of the church. As he issues the first invitation for sinners to repent and give their lives to Jesus after Jesus has died and risen again. In Acts chapter 238, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you. You want to follow Jesus? You need to get baptized. Man, you got to repent, right? Repentance starts the process, but baptism declares the process. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, 
we can misinterpret that verse to say that baptism brings forgiveness of sins. It doesn't. Uh, and, and the reason why I'm confident in that is because we judge Scripture by Scripture. And there's a whole lot of other verses that tell us that our sins are forgiven simply by the repentance part. Uh, our sins are forgiven by believing on Jesus as our Savior. So that's the part that brings forgiveness. Baptism is simply the symbol of it. So baptism doesn't provide forgiveness, but it demonstrates that I have been forgiven. It's very, very powerful. Number three. From our statement of faith, it says, Thus they declare to the world that they have died with Christ, that they have also been raised with him to walk in newness of life. Romans 6 puts it this way in verse 4. Paul says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. What is baptism? Baptism is the declaration that the old me is dead. It's a big statement. Right? It's not just the declaration that Jesus has saved me. It's the declaration that the old me has died. Man, that, that dead me, that flesh me, that part of me that rebelled against God, that, that I've buried that thing with him in baptism, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. So it demonstrates that I've died with Christ. It demonstrates that I've raised with Christ. It's a beautiful demonstration. It's simple, it's quick, but it's powerful in what it's declaring. Every time we baptize somebody, we're declaring the gospel of Jesus. Every time somebody goes down into the water and comes up, we are declaring, we believe Jesus Christ died for us, that he was dead for three days, and that he raised again, just as communion declares the gospel every time we partake of it. Baptism actually models and demonstrates the gospel every time we get to do it. It's sacred. It's wonderful. So again, we don't believe that baptism saves you. We don't believe that baptism provides the forgiveness of sins. Oftentimes use the wedding ring illustration for this, and it's ironic because I have lost my wedding ring, and I'm up here today without a wedding ring, uh, which I need to get replaced here pretty quickly. Uh, but the fact that I don't have a wedding ring on today, does this mean that I'm single? No, no, let's be clear. That does not mean that. I am very much married, very much glad to be married. Uh, it's a good thing, right? So, so the wedding ring doesn't make me married. The wedding ring simply declares I'm committed to somebody. And my heart has been taken, right? And, and so I can take the wedding ring off or lose the wedding ring in the ocean, whatever the case may happen to be. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you heard my wife. She said the third time. Uh, the, we, we are returning metal to the ocean. Um, so, yeah. Uh, working on that. Thankfully, that doesn't mean I'm no longer married, right? Baptism doesn't give you Jesus. You receive Jesus when you repent, when you confess, when you give your heart to him. That's when you get Jesus. That's when you get the commitment from Jesus. In the same way that the ring doesn't make me married, you could, somebody out there may find my ring in the ocean. Some kid may find it and slip it on. That doesn't make that kid married because they threw that ring on, right? just means they're wearing a ring. You could get baptized today, and if you haven't repented and given your heart to Jesus, that baptism has no value for you. In fact, I think we've got a lot of people in America who get baptized without actually committing to Jesus. 
doesn't mean that the baptism condemns them to a future in hell or anything like that. It just means they got wet for no reason, right? It, there's no significance there. There's no value there. So the, the, the baptism is like the ring. It doesn't make something change. It simply declares there's a commitment in my heart. I have given myself to Jesus, and that's a beautiful thing, and it is a powerful thing. So baptism is the public declaration that I am following Jesus. You see, there's this lie in our culture that will pop up from time to time. It popped up with, with somebody like Tim Tebow, okay? So Tebow comes out, and if you remember Tim Tebow, he was very public about his faith. Man, this guy, he's a, the son of missionaries to the Philippines. He grew up overseas. He loves Jesus with all his heart, and he's taking a knee when he scores a touchdown, and he's bringing Jesus into every conversation that he can. And there were a lot of people who pushed back against that and said, hey, you just need to keep your faith private. Faith is a private thing. Faith is a personal thing. And, yes, faith is very personal. In other words, if all you have is a public faith, but there's no personal connection, there's no private connection, it's worthless. But the reverse is also true. If all you have is a personal faith, if all you have is a private faith, and there's no public declaration of that, there's no public demonstration of that, you don't really have a faith. See, it's compared to a marriage. We're the bride of Christ. If I only love my wife privately, but I never tell you her I love her when other people are around, I never recognize her when other people are around, that's going to demonstrate to her that I don't really love her. Or if I only tell her how much I love her when other people are around and build her up, but I don't tell her when it's just us, then it's going to come across as fake and inauthentic. You understand what I'm saying? So in the same way in my relationship with Jesus, I need to have a personal and private relationship with Jesus, but I also need a public relationship. And that's why the first thing Jesus asks us to do as his followers is to get baptized. Here at City Church, when we invite somebody to receive Jesus, we do it in a dark room with everybody closing their eyes. We, we allow that personal, private moment, that intimate moment for God to deal with an individual's heart. But if that's all it does, if that's all it is, if it stays there and it never is expressed openly, it's never declared publicly, it's probably not going to take root. It's probably not going to bear any real fruit in an individual's life. I don't believe there's such a thing as a closet Christian. I just don't. I believe if you love Jesus, people are going to know it. And you are going to show it. And so baptism is the first step that we can take to make that public declaration that I'm following Jesus. Amen? Amen. You see, biblical faith is both personal and public. It's personal and it's also public. In Mark chapter 10, and this pops up other places in the Gospels as well, Jesus issues this statement that I think defines what we're about to do. It says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, what does it mean to come after Jesus? To follow him. If anybody wants to follow Jesus, he must deny himself. What's self-denial? Death, burial, the old self is gone. I'm laying this down. He must deny himself. Luke, it says, deny himself daily. Take up his cross and follow 
me. Follow me. Those simple words, follow me, appear again and again in Jesus' conversations. He looks at someone. He says, follow me. Follow me. He doesn't say believe in me. Notice the difference there. Belief is a lot easier, right? I believe in you, but Jesus doesn't ask. He's not looking for believers. He's looking for followers. That's a much, much bigger commitment. We put it this way a couple years ago. We did a study on a, on a book called Not a Fan by Pastor Kyle Eidelman. But that Jesus is looking for followers, not for fans. See, I think in America, we got a lot of Jesus fans. We got a lot of people who like what Jesus represents, like what Jesus can do for us, right? And there's nothing wrong with being a fan. I'm a fan of, of teams. I'm a fan of individuals and celebrities, right? Like, it's okay to be a fan, but Jesus doesn't need fans. He's not asking for fans. Jesus is asking for followers. And baptism is the first step in that following process. Why do I say it's the first step? Well, number one, it's the first thing Jesus asked for. But secondly, so it's following his commands, it's following his instructions, but it's also following his example because Jesus himself actually got baptized. So, I mean, John the Baptist, as he's about to baptize Jesus, he's like, whoa, 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 no, I I can't baptize you. And and we look at that and we laugh, and I'm sure I would have been exactly the same way, right? Like, there's no way I am so unworthy to do this. He said, look, this needs to be done, and we need to follow all righteousness. Jesus didn't need to get baptized to forgive his sins. Jesus didn't have any sins to forgive, right? Jesus got baptized as an example to us when he says, follow me, I'm going to do exactly what I'm asking you to do. Don't you love that God doesn't ask us to do anything he hasn't done first? God doesn't ask us to give him anything he hasn't first given to us. God doesn't ask more of us than he's willing to give. And so Jesus, before he says, hey, I need you to get baptized, he says, I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to take this step myself. He's looking for followers, not for fans. And so my, my fear is in our culture, that idea of following Jesus has been pretty watered down from what it once meant. Uh, and so let me, let me illustrate this my favorite way. I'm going to use a, a social media app called Twitter. How many of you guys are on Twitter? Probably not many, right? Okay, very few. We got like five Twitters in here. So the rest of us think that you guys are twits probably, uh, right? Like you, you're not fans of the Twitter app. That's okay. More people on Facebook, more people on Instagram, whatever. I, I like Twitter a lot. And the reason I like Twitter a lot is because Twitter allows me to follow individuals that I value what they have to say. And so for me, it's really I have kind of two main veins in my Twitter world. I have my, my pastors, missionaries, worship leaders that I look up to, people I admire in the faith, man, that, that I want to see what they have to say. And they get to share what's going on in their church or what they, book they just wrote or the album that's coming out or whatever that might be. So, so I follow those people. And then secondly, um, I follow sports people, right? I, I, I am a fan, uh, and so I follow, follow Russell Wilson, who's broken my heart, and I'm still working through some things. Uh, if you don't know what happened, Russell Wilson just got traded to the Broncos, uh, and I'm not okay. It's okay. Uh, so, so I get to follow some people and, and see what's going on in their situations, right? And so uh, Greg just put up my Twitter profile. This is me. Um, I don't put this up so that you go follow me. I don't care. It's between you and God if you do. I really don't tweet a whole ton, um, but this is my Twitter account. You see I have allegedly 1,025 people following me. I say allegedly because there are a lot of bots that aren't actual real people uh, who, who follow you, and so it's a, it's a weird thing, but somewhere in that neighborhood, and then I have uh, 
excuse me, that I'm, I'm following 1,025 and I have 440 followers. So 440 people that are allegedly following me. So you see, I joined in December of 2010, so I've been on Twitter, what is that, almost 12 years, 11 years, uh, for a while. And so you can see things that I want to send out to the world, things that I say. Uh, you see my most recent post tweet was this morning, pumped to baptize five people at City Church, etc. Um, I retweeted City Church Worship, which you can follow them, shameless plug. Uh, so you're welcome, Hunter. Uh, did that for you. Uh, so you can find all those things on Twitter. But notice I says I'm following 1,025. So that's what I want to focus on is I'm following 1,025 people. That's a low-level followership. You know what I mean? You can't follow 1,000 people on, on a high level. So I'm following 1,025 people. The most recent one, and I've done this before, uh, but it's just fun to use him for whatever reason. So this morning I went and I chose uh, to follow Justin Bieber. So go ahead and put that next picture up there for us. Uh, so notice it says follow on the right side. That means I was not following Bieber. So I've used him before in this, and so I have followed and unfollowed Bieber multiple times. Uh, it's just something you're not supposed to do with Jesus. Don't follow and unfollow Jesus, but you can follow and unfollow Bieber. Uh, so, so I'm not following him at this moment when I took this picture. Notice he's following over 284,000 people, and he has 114 million followers. 114 million accounts following Justin Bieber, plus one, because the next picture, uh, I decided to follow Bieber. So now it says following, and I expanded it out so you can see. Uh, so now it suggests some people like Bieber. So it suggests that I follow Katy Perry, Pink, Ashley Tisdale. On the sidebar, it says you might like Miley Cyrus, Rihanna, Kevin Hart. Notice I'm not following any of them. I don't plan plans to follow any of them. Uh, but I am now following Bieber. So what does it mean that I am following Justin Bieber? Does it mean I'm a disciple of Justin Justin Bieber? No, absolutely not. What it means is if Bieber decides to tweet something, if he decides to put something out there, I will get that information. I will have access to it. Now, Justin Bieber has no clue that I'm following him. There's no commitment in this relationship. I may see what he tweets. I may not see what he tweets. I may care about what he tweets. I probably won't care about what he tweets, right? This is a very, very low-level followership. And, and my concern is there's a whole lot of Christians following Jesus the way I follow Justin Bieber. Hey, that, that sounded good. I might check this thing out for a little bit. Man, I, I like that Jesus is about love. So, man, I, I, might, I might quote him from time to time. I might reference something that he said. Jesus is not giving us tweets to pick and choose if we're going to retweet this one or like that one. Jesus is laying out for us a life. And he says, follow me. Take up your cross. Die to yourself. Deny yourself and follow me. That's a big ask. That's a big command. And I'm afraid there's a whole lot of us that aren't putting that very deeply into practice. When you choose to follow Jesus, you're not adding him to your social media account. You are choosing him as the leader of your life. I am putting you on the throne and choosing to keep you there as my king. When you get baptized today, those of you who are getting baptized, you are demonstrating to the world that Jesus is the leader of your life. doesn't mean you'll never mess up. doesn't mean you'll never miss it. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. None of us are. 
but it means you've given him that place and you are choosing to come after him. You are choosing to deny yourself. You are choosing him as the model for your life. It's a big thing to follow Jesus. The first step Jesus calls us to take in order to follow him is to get baptized. Baptism is so much more than clicking a button or going through a ceremony. When the early church got baptized, many of them were soon to be killed shortly thereafter. This is a public declaration that they were doing something illegal, something that, that the culture had banned, something that the culture had said, this is unacceptable. And they would publicly declare, I'm following with Jesus. I'm identifying with the one who laid down his life for me. And if that means I have to lay down my life for him, I'm willing to do it. Why has baptism been watered down in our culture? Well, it's been watered down in our culture for a number of reasons. One of them is we don't face that kind of persecution. Praise God. Chances are nobody who gets baptized today is choosing to die tomorrow for Jesus. Most of us will never face that decision. Perhaps some of us will. It's not nearly as heavy of a choice for us as it was for them. And yet so many of them, by the hundreds of thousands, chose on following Jesus no matter what it takes, no matter what it means. You know the only way you can make a decision like that? It's when you know somebody has risen from the dead. The only way you can choose to follow someone and it may cost you your life is when you know that one has the power of life and death itself and can raise you to new life. Baptism has been watered down in our culture for, for another reason. See, one of the things that used to happen is you were baptized, number one, as a declaration of your faith, counted as a convert, but secondly, you were baptized into membership of the church. This was how you became a member. They didn't have a discovery process. They didn't have a membership covenant. You got baptized. You were part of the church. Well, in our culture, we got a whole bunch of people who changed churches, right? Uh, and so you've been baptized at a previous church, and that isn't necessarily even a bad thing, right? Like there's good reasons for leaving churches. Sometimes there's bad reasons for leaving churches. There's good ways to leave church and bad ways to leave church. And We've seen a little bit of all of it, right? Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing that you got baptized somewhere else and now you're at City Church, but we don't feel like, hey, every time somebody becomes a member of the church, we need to baptize them again, right? Because that baptism is your declaration of membership in Jesus more so than in the local church. Uh, and so baptism has changed a little bit down through history, but that doesn't mean it's less important or less significant. It's not as heavy but it's still beautiful. It's still massive. It's still important. We get to choose to demonstrate we're following Jesus by getting baptized in water. At, G at City Church, we take a very literal view of baptism. The Greek word for baptism is baptizo, which literally means to immerse. And so I know that there, some of you come from church backgrounds where they didn't immerse, they sprinkled, or they had some other form of baptism. I don't think you're less of a Christian, and I don't think your baptism is somehow invalidated. Right? The, the symbolism of the baptism is way more important than the form of the baptism. But I am going to tell you why we do it the way we do it. Because the Greek word baptizo literally means to immerse. It was used for, for a sunken battleship. 
It, it was used for the process of producing pickles in vinegar. You don't sprinkle vinegar on a pickle to make a cucumber to make it a pickle, right? You have to immerse that sucker. It's got to be under that vinegar in order to pickle it. Uh, and so that's literally what baptizo means. It means to immerse. And so we see this modeled for us in Scripture. Jesus went down into the water before he came up and got baptized. I'll give you another example. Acts chapter 8. There's this story, one of my favorite stories in all of the book of Acts, maybe one of my favorite stories in scriptures. It's called the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. So there's this, this man who has somehow gotten a hold of a scroll of the book of Isaiah. Uh, and he's a, he works in the office of the queen of Ethiopia. And he's traveling back from Israel. For whatever reason, he was in Israel. He's traveling back to Ethiopia in a chariot. And the Spirit of God grabs Philip and transports Philip, uh, like some, some crazy stuff, right? Like actually transports him to the place where he's standing for this chariot to come by. And he hears this conversation about the scroll that's being read. So, so the eunuch has a driver, and him and the driver are having this conversation. We'll pick the story up in verse 36. It says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? So I left out a little bit of context here. Philip hears them having this conversation about the scroll, and he says, hey, I can explain this to you. Do you mind if I ride with you? So the eunuch calls him up, and Philip starts unpacking from Isaiah all the symbolism about Jesus. This is what this means about Jesus. This is who Jesus was. This is what Jesus did. And he tells him about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so the eunuch, man, he just declares his faith. I want to follow Jesus. And then they pass some water, and he says, look, here is some water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Verse 39 says, when they came up out of the water... The Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. So the Holy Spirit transported Philip in, transported Philip out. That's an awesome, awesome story. That's an awesome experience. Philip was a, a privileged individual. It says, and the eunuch did not see him again, again, but he went on his way rejoicing. So I want to bring just a couple of very quick principles out of this story. First of all, the eunuch wanted to get baptized as soon as he believed. Right? He didn't wait until he could get baptized in front of mom and dad. He didn't wait until his most important friend could be there at the moment for him to have this baptism. He didn't wait until somebody else who he cared about was getting baptized. He said, I've heard this story. I know who Jesus is. I've given Jesus my life. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? He was ready to take that step immediately. Secondly, he didn't wait until he had his baptism clothes. Right? He said, hey, man, let's, let's swing by uh, this store over here and let me get some shorts and a T-shirt so I can get baptized. He's in his cloak. He's in his tunic. I don't know what he's wearing, but whatever he's in, he's like, I'm ready to get baptized. I don't care if my clothes get wet. Right? He didn't wait for the perfect conditions, for all the things to be there that made it most convenient and most comfortable for him. When he understood baptism was something required of him and expected of him as a believer in Jesus, he said, let's do this thing. Right here, right now. Secondly, if you'll go back to verse 38 for me. Or no, actually leave it there in 39, sorry. It says, when they came up out of the water. You don't come up out of the water if you're sprinkling water on somebody's head, right? And again, I'm not trying to like mock or, or put down the way that, that some places do it. But if that's what you're doing, you're not coming up out of the water. The only way for that sentence to make any sense is you can only come up out of the water if you went down into the water. Right? And so, again, when we 
understand the symbolism. What is baptism declaring? It's declaring that I died and was buried. A physical burial and a physical resurrection that I'm now raised to new life in Christ. That's why we do baptism the way that we do it. And, and, and man, other churches can baptize the way that they do it, and I believe God's using them, and I'm grateful for it. I think this is the biblical way to baptize. I think this is the best way that we can do it. And so that's why we're going to do it this way today. So I want to ask you a question that the eunuch asked Philip. What's stopping you from getting baptized? Now, for many of us, the answer to that is, I already got baptized. And that's a good answer, okay? Uh, I'm not saying everybody in this room needs to go get baptized again so that we can have the biggest baptism service in the history of City Church and we can say, look at how many people we baptized. That's not what this is about, right? If you have been baptized as a believer in Jesus, then praise God, we celebrate that. When we baptize people today, when we baptize people in the future, man, let that take you back. So that place where you made that decision, to that place where, where you had that experience, man, let that remind you of what God has done in your life. It's an awesome, awesome thing. But perhaps there's some of us here today, perhaps there's some watching online that you haven't taken this step yet. I would ask you, what's stopping you from being baptized? At this point, I want to release those who are getting baptized to go get changed and get ready. Uh, as our worship team comes down and prepares to help me wrap up our service for those of us in this room. If you've never been baptized, if you've never taken this step, today's the day. You have the opportunity. Man, we've got photographers lined up. We've got clothes ready for you. We've got everything we can to make this as simple of a process for you as it can be. But man, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've given him your heart, he wants you to make that public declaration that this is for me, that this is me, that I'm a follower of Jesus. Remember, biblical faith is both private, both what's already happened in your heart, and it's public. And baptism empowers us, gives us the opportunity to do exactly that.